What's up, Internet? You're tuned in to the December book club here at the Comics Pals. I'm your host this month, uh, where we'll be reading Scott Pilgrim Volumes 1 and 2, a book club a long time in the making and one I'm excited to jump into. Uh, this month on the book club, I am joined by Sean. Hello. Marco. What's up? And Kale. Yo! So, uh, if this wait, is your... On. Oh, wait, you got another one? Go ahead. And Kale! No, who are you? Uh, oh, I, I'm Pete. I said that, didn't I? No, you didn't. Mm-mm. Oh, I'm, I'm Pete. Very... I'm your host this month on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you said... Uh, oh, what did you say? It was weird. Uh, you're here with me this month, and this month we're doing... And you just completely skipped over. Good, it. nailing it, nailing it right out the gate. That's good. That's that's the that's what you want to do in the intro of the show is uh, set expectations very low because now it's all uphill from here, right? Ideally, yep. that's what I do. Knock on wood. Um, anyway, uh, if this is your first time joining us here, I promise. Uh, well, actually, I was gonna say usually these are cleaner, but only when Sean hosts the book club. So uh, you do pretty well. Uh, I'm I'm a clear number two, but the competition. You are a so, clear number two. That is true. <laughs> so if this is your first time joining us here on one of the Comics Pals book clubs, uh, once a month we pick a book uh, to read alongside, oh, together and with the community, and come together and have a little chat about it. Uh, this one, um, Scott Pilgrim, was a pick from my pile this month, so that's why I'm your host this month. Uh, you can also catch all of our other amazing weekly programs that come out much more frequently than this year book club. If you like this episode, uh, go check out our weekly comic book podcast where every week we get together. How many times can I say week in this sentence, you think? Uh, we get together and talk about the biggest news going on in the world of comics, all your favorite characters, wherever you can get them. Um, we have great creators. Uh, this month we've had Christopher Sabella, Jeremy Holt, some really, really awesome episodes there. Uh, if you've never checked us out, I promise we are well worth your time uh, every week on that there show. We've also got uh, Image Comics reviews every Wednesday, day and date. Thank you to Image for giving us those that early access uh, so that we can get those reviews to you right out the gate. And then, of course, on Thursdays we catch everything else in between So if you're a Marvel, a DC, uh, or anything else fan, and you've got a book you want to hear us review, that's the place for that there program. So go check out all those fine things wherever you get your podcasts. We're on YouTube. We're all over the place. Um, Come check us out. Come be a part of what we're doing here. And uh, if you want to interact with the show, write in, get your thoughts right on the air. There's a bunch of ways you can do that. You can hit us up at thecomicspals.gmail.com. Come join our Discord where the conversation keeps on rolling after the show ends. uh, And get us on social. You know, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. So come and catch up with us, laugh with us, love with us, read some comics with us. Uh, and yeah, speaking of reading some comics, let's talk about this one that we read. So uh, Scott Pilgrim, we jumped into volumes one and two. This is a book um, that I've been wanting to do on one of these book clubs for a long time because this is a book that has definitely been one that's um, that was formative in in my you know kind of early years as a comic book fan. I remember um, you know my the first time I read it, I think I was probably sixteen or seventeen. Uh, I I saw the uh, Edgar Wright film um, of the of the you know, named after the second volume, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, um, which I think is probably how most people um, you know who weren't already indie comics folks uh, became more familiar with with Scott Pilgrim. Um, and that was right around the time that I was really getting back into comics in a big way. I was looking to read stuff that was outside of the the Marvel and DC, um, kind of, you know, duopoly, um, that I had been experiencing. And I, I really connected with the book back then, um, because I think 
I it felt representative of kind of the the subculture that I was a part of at that time, right? Like this was kind of before you know um, nerd shit was as mainstream as it is now, and it being a book about a bunch of like you know hipsters that played in punk bands and loved old school Nintendo games was something that felt very true to to me and and the folks that I um, that I hung around with. So that was something that I think. The, the aesthetic and the way that it kind of spoke my language was something that was a very easy inroad for me at that time. Um, and then the only other time I've reread it prior to this was I reread it in my early 20s when I was around the age of most of the main cast. Um, and it definitely gave me a different perspective on it because I think rather than connecting with a lot of the iconography and kind of how it represented that subculture... Um, I was in a pretty similar sense or place in my life in terms of like being a young, aimless person working a shitty part-time job and just trying to like get your shit together and grow up a little bit. Um, so that was when I think I connected a little bit more with like the coming of age bit of it. Um, so I'm excited to, uh, to talk about it here reading it the third time around because there's definitely some things I clocked this time that, you know, I wasn't thinking about when I read it the last time either. So um, I'm interested to jump into all that. Um, but that's my background on the book. I'd love to hear from you guys what your experience with or lack of experience with the book was prior to now. And if you've got any uh, spoiler-free thoughts that you want to share, feel free. Um, so why don't we start with Sean? Yeah. Um, so I have a question, actually. <clears throat> because my familiarity is... I saw like bits and pieces of the movie on HBO or whatever. And I played the video game, which I thought was pretty fun. My question is, yeah. How much of this book did they eliminate for content to put in the movie? Because I could not believe the amount of things that are just not cool. Like that are four in this whole book. books. Yeah. Like four whole books. There are six it's total. Nuts. Well, the that's the crazy thing too is like they had to boil down so much of it too like yeah. to make it one movie um like the these two books that we read there this has the most stuff that's directly in the book that happens directly in the movie in the same way like mm. there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens in volumes 3 and 4 that is not at all present in the in the movie just because there was simply not enough time <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. I was more referring to the like like a lot of the like race stuff that gets brought up mm. with knives and you know her age and that's definitely you know, that part's still in the movie. <laughs> fascinating. Um really gloss over it though. I, I have basically, like I said, very little familiarity with Scott Pilgrim and stuff. It never seemed like the kind of thing that would resonate with me. I try to I don't know. It's like a slice of life sort of yeah. thing. And that's never really been my jam. Um, especially uh, it feels like people living lives like without having ever read it. Right. It felt like it was a book about people living lives that are not mine, like a group of yeah. people who live in a small town that are all best friends that have like very incestuous relationships with each other um that play in bands and stuff like that like i don't know from that that's not my existence so i never get into books like that um and i will say that i was surprised to find that there was quite a bit more things that i liked than i thought i would um 
But what held it back for me from being something that I really enjoyed is a, there's a lot of stuff that clearly didn't age well, that probably wasn't cool, even when it was made, to be honest. Um, it's like egregious at times. And then B, um, it does feel pretty self-indulgent, which is a criticism that I very seldomly like to lob at creators because all creativity is in some way, shape or form self-indulgent. But it felt sure. so much so that I was alienated from that, which could just be a life experience thing. It was easy for me to see why you, Pete, would resonate with this a lot more than I would. I'm glad you found things to enjoy. I I, I imagine that you would have a tough time with with some of those things. So I'm, I'm interested to talk more about that. Um, Kale, why don't you go next? <clears throat> yeah, so I was introduced to Scott Pilgrim through the through the film. Um, but not too long after the film, I read the whole series. I read it when it was still black and white. Um, and read it in color this time was really cool. Oh, you had um, never done that before? No, no, because that's that's fairly recent. Yeah, I mean, when I reread it in my 20s, I think the color edition had maybe just finished. Yeah. So it's been like at yeah. least four or five years, I think. Um, my, my overall opinion, I think has always just been Scott sucks. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> um, you know, that's from the movie. That's from reading the book. Dude just sucks. <laughs> um, his friends um, all seem to think so too. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I don't know. I, I appreciate the slice of life aspect of this book. I even appreciate some of the romance in this book, some of the romance in this book. <clears throat> but there are some and this this could sort of steer into the self-indulgence stuff that uh Sean was talking about but there's like weird I don't know the the premise is sort of weirdly unexplained and yeah. not that you know not that I need everything laid out on the page but like everything is normal until it's not yes and then it's just like well where the hell did this come from uh question kill have you read any of uh brian Lee o'malley's other stuff uh bits and pieces here and there yeah okay yeah i want to talk about that as a thing later yeah uh yeah those are my overall thoughts i, I really like the uh o'malley's art style I think he's, uh, you know, uh, a great artist that this all really fits. Uh, but yeah, those are those are my overall thoughts. Uh, it's also crazy how well this all translated into film. Yeah, like almost shot for shot. Yeah, that's usually a big F or, uh, yeah. you know, it's like that doesn't all always work very well. Um and it's definitely not a book that was, like, written with that in mind, right? Like, yeah. it's uh, a pretty, like, well, we can talk about that, the form of that stuff later. Marco, how about you? Uh, yeah, same as you guys came in through the movie. Picked this up pretty much directly after as well. And it was probably one of the first, I guess, manga-styled English books that I'd read, you know, not translated and not originally from Japan. And so for for that, I really appreciated it because it was Americanized comics, but drawing so much from the manga influences that I was reading at the time as well. 
And so I, you know, loved it for that. And um, the the content, it's it's funny, you know, it's quippy. It has its moments of dry humor. It has its moments of um, outlandish. What? Wet humor. <laughs> outlandish, like a uh, uh, surreal stuff, and I, it's it's a fun slice of life book, and that's you know when I first read it, exactly everything that I was reading, and it just slotted right in perfectly. Um, that's so funny. This... It's like the total inverse for me, where I was like, oh, this is so dynamically different than everything else I'm reading because I was just reading superhero shit, you know. <laughs> nah, this was this was the jam. Like, I was reading other romance things like this, and it was just. If it's slotted in like exactly, and um, I think one of the other things is that I I'm rereading this probably for the third time. It's the first time in color, and that was interesting to see. That was definitely something that I appreciated because I think it brings a certain vibrancy to certain to some of the individual pages, and. Uh, I think it makes some of these characters feel a bit more realized in black and white. I remember having trouble distinguishing between Scott and Neil and Stephen Stills, but here it's a bit clearer. Uh, so there's definitely, I think, improvements made. And I like the the flat style they went with uh, mm. to to color this. You know, I, I think they could have picked a lot of different things, but keeping it, you know, simple two tones and some shadow, and you're you're good to go from there. I think was really effective. It's weird how well it works. I think. Yeah, because like having read the book in black and white originally and then now read it twice in color, like I think of it in color now. Interesting. And I feel like that is rare where Mm -hmm. that works that well. Yeah, Uh, I I can I can absolutely see this like in in either way. I I think it it just works so well with his style. And it's just it's a good book. It's fun. I, I definitely like it for the for the content. I think some things have aged, but not in any way that has affected my my reading outright. It's funny that you guys are, are talking about the distinction between this book in black and white and in color. I've literally, I don't know what it looks like black and white at all. I have I, no clue. I was, I was hoping that that would be the case for at least one of us because I wanted to talk about that. Like, could you imagine seeing this in black and white? Like, is that hard for you to imagine? Yeah, very. I, I can't I can't imagine that in any way, shape or form at all. Like mm. this looks like it belongs in color. So because it is right. So that's just that's nuts. Wow. OK. Yeah, so, it's, but it's it, kind of insane because um, wow. like it speaks to how effective it, it was as a like the colorist. And I don't know who it was. It's uh, Nathan yeah. Fairbairn. Fairbairn. Yeah. Fairbairn. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Like shout out because that I think was done very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's a he's a tremendous colorist too. So, yeah, he's been around. I've seen that name uh, many times. Yeah, I mean, I I think he did a really great job. Um, and it's funny because, like, you know, uh, I think it was you, Marco, who made the point earlier that, like, or no, maybe it was Cal, that it's kind of nuts how well this translated to film, and it's kind of funny that, like, you can actually see. The, the the art's influence on the movie like more yeah. retroactively with the color because so mm. many of the like outfits and and things like that are like lifted directly off the page you know um like the outfit that scott's wearing and like the first conversation they have is like that's the promo 
Like, that's what he looks like in almost all of the promo art and stuff like that, you know? I mean, even something as simple as, like, the, the sound effects, they get amplified because they're in color. You know, you, you, the, the, the color you choose between the yellow, the red, emphasizes different things and different energies in those individual moments. And it, it works super well. Like, the first fight with Patel, you, know, you have your different kapak, your krau, your swak, whatever. But because it's not just lettered out in the gray tone that it would in a manga, it pops. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, there's, I think it's in book three. There's a joke because there's a joke that was made in the original version of the book that's about how the book is in black and white and Ramona always changes her hair color. And in the color oh, yeah, version, yeah. they added a, par- a parenthetical that says this joke worked better in color or in, in black and white. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> but like, other than that, it's like, I think really pretty unaffected by, um, by that that bit of it mm-hmm. um so while we're you know while we're talking about the art i know usually we kind of talk about story first and then art but we're on it so i'd love to talk more about brian's art style since we've kind of been circling it um sean i'm interested to hear how you feel about it overall because i know that like the this i feel like is kind of a marriage of like a manga influence, but also kind of like that underground, like comics with an X style, both of which are things that you're not generally a big fan of. Like how did, how did the art land for you? I thought it was perfect for the story. Um, It's a very small, I mean, obviously they're like fighting and and all that stuff, but other than that, it's a small scale story. Um, And I think that the art, style adds a lot of character that the book wouldn't have if they were traditionally western art style drawn um i think it would be too basic this gives it like a just a a certain style that makes everything come together i think um it, it makes the story come together it makes it just makes everything come together and then i also think it lends itself well to the bits and gimmicks that are present like yeah times where um you know someone's like basic profile will pop up or the ingredients to a um a, a meal that they're that they're prepping like yeah. all that stuff works because of the the style of art that was chosen here again i'd probably feel differently if it wasn't black and white but um, I like I like it. It looks good, I think. Um, and I, I'm not unfamiliar with Brian Lee O'Malley's work because I did read Snot Girl. Um, and so... But he but didn't do the art on that one. That's Leslie Hung. Oh, that's does right. The pages. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay. He just does enough. the scripts on that. Fair enough. But I feel like there was something else then that he had done. Maybe the cover, like maybe alternate covers or stuff like that that you've maybe seen. Maybe it or... wasn't Snot Girl then because I, I, I feel like I've seen his art before. Mm. Maybe um, Seconds or... Um... That was the one. Maybe it was seconds. I don't know. But in, in any event, I, I did. I did think that um, this looked good and it fit the story. Uh, it, it, the, the, my, the times that I enjoyed the art the most are when people's faces get really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like yep. When they like the one, I think her name is Kim. She plays the drums. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's my favorite character. She's so fucking funny. <laughs> She's a very Sean character. When she bugs it, wait, why? She's very dry. <laughs> oh, am I? I'm dry. That's, that's you, uh, I feel like, and you like characters that are like that. I feel like who are like kind of like 
like the dry, like smart ass, like, you know, kind of like smartest person in the room. And they're like a little long suffering for that. Wonder where that dynamic comes from. (laughs) (laughs) And I just love how crazy her face gets when she's playing the drums. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, the 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 like first band practice where like uh they like are playing the song and like all the chords are on the screen and like it starts with the the we are sex bomb like is uh it's just there's so much good stuff like that and I love the way that um Brian kind of like takes like things like that like the idea of like seeing a band and being like let me present this in this almost like you know superhero like big spread splash page kind of style, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One, one thing I wanted to, to linger on to what Sean brought up on uh, some of the, the bits and in particular, the one where he called out um, the, the cooking scene. So I think since I've, uh, that was one moment where I thought he, he used the pages a bit, uh, ineffectively, um, in reading other like food manga and other kind of um, like stories like this, like it, it feels... I think it's incredible that you have that context. I don't. This laughter is not derisive. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring it up on my end, but like there, I feel like the the scenes, the sequences are are more effective in communicating moments if he wasn't intercutting the cooking with the conversation. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. if they had taken place, you know, individually and then sequentially, it would have worked a bit better. And that's simply how you do it in a, in, in a food manga. You'll get through the recipe because that's what you we were focusing on and like the cooking and stuff. And then reactions to that, or, you know, we'll, we'll do like a quick cut to have a longer conversation, but this constant pacing or bouncing back and forth kind of made some things, uh, like I, I get what it was trying to, he was trying to do. But I think um, with a bit more experience, it would have come out even better communicated. Something that's really interesting about this book is, you know, we only did volumes one and two, um, but volumes three, four, and five were written over, like each one came out like roughly about a year or so between them. So like the last one came out in 2010, whereas like the first Mm -hmm. one came out in 04. So like Holy. you see Brian's style develop a lot. Wow. That's true. I a wish lot. I had known that. That's crazy. Wow. Um yeah, and it's it's it was tough because like when we were deciding like where are we going to go? It's like the whole thing is very long and more than this is kind of a weird place to stop. So it's like you know, I tried to pick the the best uh break, but yeah, that's like one of the things that, like there's a lot of development in the style yeah like even just looking at from one to two like the style is so much smoother and more um figured out in in volume two than it is in in uh in the original Mm. so you know let's um let's move over to the spoiler side of things you know we haven't talked about any of the the plot itself at this point it's mostly been kind of the overall thing so at this point if you want to avoid spoilers for this um nearly 20 year old book now's your chance um but yeah i'm sure you've read it stick around we're gonna have a good time um so i want to uh go back to something that was said earlier um that i had in my my notes where like 
if especially if you've only seen the movie, I think part of reading the book that is kind of like that will give you a little bit of whiplash is how much the quote unquote a plot is not really the plot, like the framing device of you know the the seven evil exes and everything right is like the thing that I think a lot of people think about, but like that's not the meat of really any of the books, you know, like there's so much time in between um that is that slice of life stuff that we talked about where it is like just kind of characters interacting getting to know their social circle and what the dynamics are between characters and you know seeing relationships develop and you know um and and seeing the characters kind of grow and evolve um because they definitely uh go through a lot of changes over the course of the the story so for I will, and we'll start with Sean, I guess, since this was your first time reading it. Were you surprised by that? Like, was that something that you were aware of or, like, expected? Or did that kind of catch you off guard? I knew about the, like, seven evil exes and all that kind of stuff just from, like, contacts and the video game has some of that. So, like, I, I knew about that stuff um, and the little bit of the movie that I saw. But um, I forgot. Because in the beginning of the book, they're not really dealing with all that. <laughs> so uh, when the dude writes, when uh, Patel, yeah, when, yeah. He, when he writes Scott an email or whatever, and Scott's like, oh, we got to fight, whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's supposed to fight these people. But why is this starting now? Like, they're not even, he's not even with Ramona yet. Like, there's nothing, nothing has really happened. Um, and then obviously, like, the part about Scott being this amazing fighter. <laughs> someone, someone said, <laughs> someone said, yeah, I mean, you know, Scott's the greatest fighter that lives here, right? <laughs> in like, Canada or something. It's like, yeah. it's in the, they say like in the province, like he's the best yeah, fighter in like right. the state or whatever. Like, And I, yeah, that I was like, what? Yeah. Cause like, like yeah, like that dissonance between the book and the movie, like it hit me really hard the first time I read it, and this time I was like, okay, whatever. But that in particular really stuck out to me in that sort of self-indulgent sort of like that was a huge problem I had with the book is just like, oh yeah, he's the best fighter in fucking Canada because he is because he needs to be. <laughs> Yeah, but like that's that's the trope though is you know the oh god deep, <laughs> froggy the marco's trope, here no what yeah that's no. just the trope though it's just the trope fucking I, froggy marco is the trope <laughs> you know what though i i didn't want to let it bother me um obviously it's random mm. but you know what this book is random so i was just like all right let's just see if that works if it's good Yo. It doesn't matter that it's random because that's just what the story is, I guess. Sean, I'm so glad you felt that way. When I was reading this, I was like, I really feel like Sean's going to hate so many of the decisions this book makes because they make no fucking sense. And it's just like, okay, that's the you get it. You're with me. Let's keep moving. You know? And yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I want to judge the book based on what it is. Yes. And this is what it is. So, okay, fine. If that's what you want me to accept, then I'll accept it because I'm reading this. So screw it. Um, at least the, the, like it was funny, right? Like, yes. yeah, it was so absurd 
that it's like okay how could i not laugh at this he's the yeah. best fighter in the province this Is little this, piece this of skinny shit. white kid in an indie rock band yeah like and everybody yeah everybody's cool with it so i think my favorite singular like like piece of the whole story is when he's it's the flashback to when he was in school back in the day <laughs> he had to fight because <laughs> it's so dumb it's insane like, why would the, any of this ever happen everything else is so normal right it's like painfully normal but yeah. then this kid is just the best fighter ever and he has to beat his girlfriend's ex-boyfriends why why is that the rule it's yeah. so funny and it's like it's my one of my favorite things about it is how like it's weird to every other character right like every one of the things that you like that sticks out or is strange or whatever like the regular characters acknowledge it. It's like there's like the scene in the library in, in volume two where like knives attacks Ramona and everyone's like, what are you fucking doing? You're just ripping this art, this sculpture apart. And then she's like, oh, I got to fight this this girl who's about to fly down from the ceiling and attack me. And <laughs> Have you ever had dreams like that where you're doing something crazy random like yes. that? And and the people around you are like, what you, whoa. So yeah, I'm like, I'm glad you brought that up because that is something I wanted to talk about. Um, because like weirdly enough, this that as a thing is a, not a non reoccurring theme in O'Malley's work, right? Like he often has like a kind of spacey way of writing where like characters have like daydreams, like vivid nightmares, and like flashbacks that you know are sometimes. You know they're like a semi-reliable narrator, and it, it might have this heightened sense of of re, of non-reality or whatever. But like those things have just as much impact and reality in the world as the regular mundane shit, right? And like you know, you see that kind of start to come into play with like Scott's backstory, and when we explore that in Volume Two with like you know his like memory issues and like he had this big cycle of depression and like he's this character who's like foggy and kind of gliding through his life and i feel like all of those elements playing into that juxtaposition of like the mundane and the insane it gives the whole book like a dream like quality to it you know yes i i agree with that like it's almost like a fever dream like is any of this even happening right now like maybe scott maybe the true story of scott pilgrim is that he really is this 22 23 year old slacker kid who sleeps in bed with his friend and has no money or nothing at all and all of this is just a dream in which he is like the best fighter in a band and he's a cool guy and none of that's real yeah and am i normal Yes. <laughs> okay, and and that speaks to like his the his surrealist sort of like the moments in in the book where we do really get weird, where we traverse the the subspace in Scott's mind, where he has his dreams, where he's in the desert or in the snow, and uh, things. <laughs> Are you dreaming about playing video games right now? <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I guess I am. <laughs> and and like these are the things where it it is that, right? Like that bleeds out back into reality in in the ways of him just being able to to fight or the fact that Patel can summon hipster demon chicks or Knife Chow suddenly becomes like proficient with these uh side blades and wants to attack Ramona like all oh, like that 
that is the basis for us to then get wacky, you know, because we're already having these wacky dreams. Let's just keep getting that reflected even in real life. Yeah, and and what I like about it is I feel like it it works really well because taking it at face value, it plays those things for like humor or to like give the world a unique flavor. But I think like Sean said, there's also a lot of ways you can interpret a lot of the things in the story. Like I've always kind of interpreted the overall framing device of like Scott needing to fight all of Ramona's exes with kind of being like Scott being this, you know, insecure dude who's coming off of a bad breakup and needing to come to terms with the fact that this like larger than life person who has this history that's intimidating to him is, you know, like he needs to get over that to be able to like actually be with her, you know? And like, that's my reading. That doesn't, I don't know that that's what was in mind when it was written, but like, I like the way that those things work at face value or to add depth to some of the, the emotional beats of the story, you know? I think that, um, without having read anything but volume one and two, not knowing where the story goes at all. um, I think that that's probably exactly what it is, right? Like I think Scott is a shitty dude. He's a fuck boy. Yeah. Um, And all of the things that make him that right are for play in the story. He's insecure he's a slacker he dates high schoolers for some weird reason um all of those things that you know other people call him out for and things like that like in real life if you date a high school girl and then you dump her for some other girl right and this high school girl you're dating thinks you're the one and she's obsessed with you what will probably happen in real life is that she's just going to be sad and you might have really hurt her in a major way right but in this book instead of it just being like sad and dark she is now an assassin who's trying to kill scott's girlfriend right you know and it it helps to bring levity to what are otherwise very normal benign and kind of screwed up situations that scott is in and puts himself in yeah and it's it's funny because you know i (laughs) I remember, like, when we first set it off, Kale's like, the first thing I always think of is that Scott's an asshole, right? And, like, in, in my, you know, in my little character notes Bible here that I have on the side, I wrote, Scott is a jerk. Many people are surprised by the fact that Scott is a jerk because he's yeah. the main character and we're used to being like, we're supposed to root for the main character. But, like, he's an asshole. And, like, the story is basically about how he's an asshole and he needs to grow up, you know? Um, and everybody in his life that cares about him has that opinion of him, right? Like, that's not where you want to be, right? You don't want to be thought of as a lazy piece of shit. And that's kind of where, (laughs) when we start, that's where he's at, you know? (laughs) And I think that that's why, like, he, it's the whole reason that Knives is, is sort of there, right? Is that he, he had based a lot of his, uh, I guess, personhood in Envy, and that relationship fell apart, so he fell apart. And I guess that connection was, well, I need somebody to fill the void because that'll make these the, the things in my life that are shitty better. But uh, it obviously doesn't. And those are the things that then he has to like take the steps to learn. It's like, well, all right, maybe I just need to do the things for me and not because I need to be with or attached to somebody. I need to do them 
uh, I, I, like, need, I to be need the person. to grow. <laughs> right, exactly. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because I wanted to make a point about arrested development. I think that a lot of people Scott's age <clears throat> from that particular decade and going on to now have a lot of like young men have dealt with that. This is a, a thing that a lot of psychologists are analyzing, sociologists are analyzing young men who are struggling to find their way in the world, struggling to grow up, get involved in things and, 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 and stuff like that. Scott Pilgrim is like the poster boy of that. Mm-hmm. And so in his mind, he probably is 17, you know? So to him, dating knives is like dating anybody. And everyone around him points out like, dude, this is weird. Although some people don't. And that's when I was a little freaked out because um, there's some people who are just who just take that as nothing. But in Scott's own mind, I genuinely don't think he had uh, like malicious intent. He wasn't with no. her because she was 17 and that's yeah. what he was attracted to. He was with her because he was into her. And in his mind, there's no difference between them because he thinks of himself as a child because he is a child. He's living yes. a child's life. Yeah. So while I understand why anyone would think it was creepy, I'm only saying that because while it is, I don't think that he's, I don't think that he's trying to be creepy and I don't think that's the place he's coming from. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I, and I, and I think you're right. And I think that like, it's not, it's not even to like defend the choice, right? Like the book doesn't defend the choice. It points out every time it comes up that it's fucking weird and creepy. But I think the whole point is that like, yeah, he's emotionally stunted, right? Like he's stuck in this pre adolescent mindset and, like, you can even see that in the first book. Like, what does he do with knives? He takes her to his childhood home that his parents sold that he's still upset about as a 23-year-old, right. right? Like, that doesn't speak to somebody who's in a good place with where they are in terms of their transition between, you know, being a kid and, and being an adult who's got to take care of themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, yeah, to your point, Sean, I think that is kind of a unique, uh, uniquely, like, modern experience for a lot of young men you know and i think it's why um there are a lot of people that relate to scott in a bad way and it's like well you're not like yeah relate to him and recognize your own problems and grow up is what you're supposed to do not be like he's a great guy it's like no he's not yeah (laughs) he's a fucking loser (laughs) i actually knew a guy who was like this and uh it was not good he was dating. He was yeah. He was dating a high school girl. He was like twenty four years old, and we were all just like, "Dude, what the fuck is wrong with you?" Yep. Like, what? Why are you? Why are you doing this? Yeah, it's. I definitely knew guys like that, and it's funny because like the way that you said that they, there are like characters um, who kind of like are like, "Oh yeah," like that don't like flag that it's a fucking creepy thing. I kind of feel like that's a nod to the fact that like there are a lot of creepy fucking dudes in like indie and punk scenes that date underage women. <laughs> Fair enough. I, that was something yeah. where I was like, oh, cool. I like I met this guy when he scammed on my friend. Like, you know. <laughs> um. So while we're while we're talking about the writing and stuff, something I wanted to talk about. Um, Kale, you brought up earlier that there that's something that resonates with you in the book is how. Um, some of the romance stuff is handled. And something that I 
I feel like um, that Brian does really well is like at writing like quiet moments. You know, like I think he does a good job at like having an in like creating an intimacy between two characters in a moment in a way that feels true to how I think we kind of romanticize moments like that in our lives after the fact, you know? Um, like I'm reminded of like the scene where like obviously there's like the scene where they share a bed for the first time and things like that. But even like in volume two where they're hanging out and they're like watching the movie and, you know, he kind of just like takes a minute to look at her and then he's like you're really cool. Like, I like you. And then, he, you know, it kind of pulls her in for a kiss and everything. It's like these very, like, small human moments that are not anything other than the moment. And I feel like that's a strength he really has as a writer. I think also, like, small mundane moments. Uh, people hanging out at a party, you know, their band practice. Riding can- a bus. Riding a bus, he makes it engaging. He makes it entertaining because people quip, people have you know, real. Um, it feels like 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 real dialogue. Uh, I think something we've criticized has been um, something like Ben to speak, where everybody has to kind of like jump in, and chirp, and say something. But here, it feels really natural and paced out well. In that every every interaction doesn't feel like. One, I'm being fed a piece of information or somebody's just responding to speak. You know, you can see multiple people on a page and everybody has a bubble, but it's all related because it's all conversational and you can feel that in the script. I get the sense that the characters are based on real people, right? Like, because even like very, very minor characters have personality. Like yeah. there's that scene in the in the second volume where they're at the party or no, they're at the show. And they meet up with, like, Kim's co-worker and her uh, roommate, who that's the only time we meet him in this volume, and he has, like, two lines of dialogue. But it's like, oh, the, I hear this character's voice and, like, how he's delivering this line, and it's not the same as the other two characters who he's talking to, you know? But even Yeah, even stuff like... Um, I'm specifically looking at the beginning of, uh, I guess it's chapter 8, where... Kim is waking up and she goes into the bathroom and all of her roommates underwear is, uh, is on the floor. <laughs> like it, you know, it, it has little captions of who's what's on, you know, who, whose yeah. underwear belongs to who. And it's like, that's weirdly um, fulfilling for, you know, uh, looking at characters and like telling us who she lives with. And, like, not hitting you over the head with it, right? Yeah. That's, like, a page of her getting ready to leave for the day. And, like, you learn something. That was that was kind of, like, tough to adjust to, how how often we would learn things about characters who were absolutely irrelevant. There were times when it was difficult to know who I was supposed to pay attention to and who I wasn't um, because there was too much information sometimes. And then mm-hmm. I also struggled to know what the hell people were even talking about sometimes there were scenes where people were talking i'm like wait what who are you why are you saying this this person what's the relevance and then the next panel would have nothing to do with what they were talking about and maybe it's because i'm not used to this kind of story but i was there was some times i was like okay i don't even understand this i i can't even i can't even address what i just read (laughs) Yeah, there is, like, a stream of consciousness to some of it, 
you know, mm. or like it, it, yes. it does feel like it jumps around sometimes and it'll be like, like even like the thing you called out earlier with like the flashback to like everything that had like with him in high school is mm. not really like, it's not really like in, it's not related to anything that's happening in the modern day. It's just like, this is background on these characters that will, that will inform how you feel about them in this volume. But you know, it's, it's removed. Hey, dude, I was really happy to see that because I needed to understand the origins of this dude being an epic fighter. Like, I, <laughs> His ass-kicking ability. <laughs> I, yeah, I needed to see, like, okay, when is the first time that you really threw down? It Like, I wanted to read just that, like, like a rival school's <laughs> book where he's just beating the shit out of people from other schools <laughs> and becoming the champion of Canada. Sean, this is hilarious to hear because this is literally that's that's a manga trope. Like that is like you, you have your main character somehow he's OP in one way or another, and then you get an explanation. Oh, this and is the thing you were trying to say earlier. Yeah. Yes, yeah, and like that's exactly like every slice of life book, every kind of like superhero action book is is this. You have your main character, they whip out some crazy shit, and a few a few either like the next issue or a few issues after an explanation and background as to why. Brilliant. It's good yeah. stuff. In One Piece, your main character is you open and the dude is cutting a great big scar under his eye and he's like six years old or something. And he's just like, I want to be a fucking pirate. And then he eats a fruit and he gets stretchy powers. And that's the book. <laughs> and, and see, if if the if the whole story was was like centerpieced around Scott just fighting people. I probably wouldn't like it as much. Yeah. The fact that it has yeah. this basis, like the, the main story is regular life. And, but then over top of that, for whatever reason is this fighting. That's perfect. Yep. It's manga. I mean, that's the thing though, is like it, it's interesting because it, in a weird way, it it's very much like a, um, it's like a lot like Sonic the Hedgehog. Where it's like Sonic is not American or Japanese. It's the amalgamation of those two things. Because like though it's taking those manga tropes and then shoving them into this extremely Western context. You know, of like stuff that would only happen in the States or Canada or something like that. You know? Mm. Which is, yeah, it's it's super interesting. Like it, 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 I think it's why the book has such a unique flavor. You know, like mm-hmm. why it stands out among you know, um, it's contemporaries and why I think it's something that people continue to identify with, like the look and feel of it, you know? Yeah, I think this book, you said it came out in 2004. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a better time in the history of humanity for this book to come out. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I just don't. I think 2004 to 2010, it, like, it couldn't have lasted any longer, I don't think. And it couldn't have started pretty much any earlier. Yeah, it's it's like the perfect, like, that era of, like, you know, it's like the kind of tail end of, like, 90s culture into that early 2000s, yeah. like, emo, indie rock, like, you know, nerd shit online becoming, like, a, you know, it's like all of this stuff was bubbling up at that time, you know? And it's like, it's a perfect Venn diagram of... The culture that created me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think also for it to 
because it's published by Oni Press and um, you know manga was kind of blowing up and anime was really I think getting more into the mainstream with stuff like Naruto blowing up. Yeah, that's a great um, point. Like it, it was the perfect time period for Toonami was huge and it was the the perfect time for this kind of a book to come from a a Western influence pulling in from uh, Japanese influences in manga and it. It hit the exact time it needed to. Yeah, yeah, this was this would have been like the height of the the manga boom, right? Yeah, pretty much because the anime for Naruto started in two thousand and two, and I feel like at that point people were like flocking to that and to other things yeah. that were getting big. Shoot, I was watching Dragon Ball religiously at this time. Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, yeah. there you yeah. go. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> um. We've talked a little bit about uh, the cast and kind of like the 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 like sort of ensemble cast. It's weird because it's like it definitely has that kind of vibe to it, where it is like a bigger, broader um, group of characters. But like they definitely matter to very varying degrees, right? Like I I think it's clear that our main focus is kind of like Scott and Ramona and every other character kind of exists in service of one of the two of them. Mm. Um, how did you feel about that? Cause I know that that's, that can, that can be a mixed bag, you know? I mean, it, it, it felt like, you know, this is Scott's world. This is, this is a book. I would even say not even Ramona. Like this is, this book is all about Scott and everyone is orbiting around him and reacting to him and what he's doing right or wrong um and i was cool with that because it's it's clear from the beginning what this is going to be in that respect that this is a, a story about a particular person and his life whatever that whatever whatever that is i wouldn't be surprised by pretty much any development going forward um, because as long as it's rooted in Scott, it's fair game. This dude is a master fighter. Anything could happen. <laughs> um, and so, you know, getting to see the people that are in his life, his friends, his foes and all that stuff. Uh, it's fun. Like it, it's, it's enjoyable. And I don't really need this to have, um, like main character B or main character C or whatever. I think that Brian Lee O'Malley, for better or worse, is trying to tell a, a very, very particular story about a maybe a self-insert character. And I think he's writing to his strengths. It feels like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. It, it um I think to your to to that point on like how they they don't sort of overstep in the presence of Scott is effective because then you you can use so many characters to bounce off and move the story forward. Like, let's say you're, you're, you're in one of the clubs, right? You can talk to Ramona, you can talk to Kim, you can talk to young Neil, you can talk. And, and because there are so many characters in there, um, to what Pete said earlier, you know, the, they all feel realized in, in some way because of even through the minimal, minimal number of interactions we have, um, Steven Sills is, you know, super, always super nervous about something, loves his girlfriend, and that's what you need to know, and that's how you can interact with him as Scott. Uh, Knives has been spurned, and now that is how we're going to interact with 
knives and it because they don't become central characters you can keep them as those bouncing boards and uh, that's incredibly effective and something he does in his work a lot. Especially considering that they are all boiled down enough that they're simple to understand, but they don't feel thin. Yeah. Like, they yeah. still feel like people. Like you, like you, Kim, right? You need to know that he and Scott dated, that she and Scott dated, and that uh, she's an angry and bitter person. She's, yeah, she's just grouchy. Like, you know, yeah, like that's, that's, that's it. her note, you know? Um, I think it's it's also worth pointing out that that's like obviously we all want to be as you know respectful of each other and as aware of everything about each other as possible. We want to be the best friends imaginable. But you know when you're talking about like your own individual life, everyone else is kind of on the periphery from you. Like you're the main character in your life. And obviously there are people who take that to the extreme by discounting other people's existence. But realistically, when the four of us leave here, we're going to go do things that not none of us really know what that is. You know what I'm saying? There's an incredible follow through uh, with that in book six. uh, Stephen Stills uh, ends up dating uh, a dude. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's Wallace, but it's it, it or it's it's I think it's one of the guys we meet in in the first two books. But Scott is like, what? When did that happen? I, was like, I don't know. Two or three books ago. Like <laughs> it's just you, you. It it hits all of a sudden, and we have no idea about it until it happens. Until Scott knows about it, because of exactly what you just described. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think um, I I appreciate that because like I think it it to Marco's point it gives it gives Brian a lot of tools to pull out because like you think about like the fight with um <laughs> like this is something I, I I think is really funny like the fight uh in in book two with Lucas Lee and like the whole crew isn't there like Kim and Young Neil show up late. And it's just like, oh, okay, like three of Scott's friends came this time. Because, like, that's how real <laughs> life is, right? Like, you're not yeah. always with all of your group of friends, you know? Like, right. <laughs> you break off in these weird groups. And, like, I appreciate that, like, young Neil is a character that you would name as one of the characters. And he has, I don't know, two lines. But, like, how many group of nerd friends have that friend that hangs out and is playing a Game Boy or a DS or whatever and not really, like, talking to anybody but is there chilling? Like, that's a thing. Like, we all have that friend. Like, <laughs> so, Oh, is this your house? No, this is mine. They just practice here. <laughs> just like, I, I live here. Where? So I just, I just live here. <laughs> i uh i really love the way that they they rewrite that joke a little bit in the movie where she's like oh what are you playing he goes oh big question and he's like nintendo mostly like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> final fantasy 7 yeah, like, like it's it's just goofy shit like that shout out to brady what? Dude, I know who is that character. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> I was like, what? I don't I don't even remember that character. <laughs> like Brady. <laughs> In fact, you even know someone with the name Brady. I don't think I've ever met anyone with the name, the first name, middle name, last name, Brady. Listen, this dude's name. I can't. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Great guy. All right. Okay. Well, Brady. Shout out to Brady. 
<laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about um, a little bit about kind of Ramona and her backstory and her her exes and all that kind of stuff. Um, so let's let's start with uh, with uh, it's Matthew, I think Patel. Um, mm-hmm. And yep. so I, again, I want to start with Sean as the new reader here. Like, how did that hit you when they're at the show and this just like starts popping off? Like. Um, at first I was like, whoa, but again, I knew that that would happen. Yeah. But when he just showed up like that, I wasn't sure the formality of it. Like, I wasn't sure if it was going to be like a tournament or how that was going to break out. I vaguely remember in the movie that there is a fight at a show, but I, based on this, obviously I know that that's, that happens more than once. So I, I, I didn't know the rules. So when he just shows up and he's like, all right, it's time to fight. I was like, what? Okay, so so is he a beast? Is is Scott going to be a beast? Like, I was expecting that they were just going to be kind of like crappy fighters. Like, they would just fight like normal yeah. people. And then they just go crazy. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what is going on? This is absurd. But again, I had already accepted the rules of the story. So I was just like, all right, cool, great. And I and I I I laughed and it was fun because it's random. I love I love the way in which that that whole thing just like escalates too. Cause like he shows up and challenges him and he's like, What? He's like, Oh, did you not get my you didn't get my letter? And he's like, right. Oh, I I did. I just didn't actually read it. And you're like, <laughs> man. <laughs> That's that that aspect of Scott's character is to cross into the film discussion, like the number one reason I hated Michael Sarah in the film. Wait, what? Because Michael Sarah did not deliver that in a believable way at all. Oh, you don't think so? No, not I disagree. I, I disagree. Not I feel like all. that's another conversation, but yeah, We're looking, that's funny. You know, we need, we need like a fucking Goku ass, like uh dude. And that is mm. not Michael Sarah. I feel like he nails it a lot though. Like the whole, like, Oh, dude! I got mail. Now I'm reading it. Like, no. like I feel like a lot of those land. Isn't that the idea though? That he that he's the the person playing him should be like. I'm not saying Michael Sarah's a loser, but that they should have that, that energy and that vibe. Yeah, like a very being very like basic. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't think he has it. Or he had doesn't it, have that vibe. Interesting. I know. I I feel like that's like the role he was born to play. (laughs) Brand of loser, maybe. I don't know. I just didn't buy it. That's so funny. Maybe I should watch it because I I can't I can't engage in that conversation. I think you'd have a lot of fun. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's fun. You're gonna see a lot here that is just like immediately translated. You're gonna be like you're gonna you're basically gonna be the Leo meme, just like you you know what's (laughs) so funny? I actually again without having really watched it, I feel like I enjoy this a lot more in comic book form because I, I do think the comics better and they're not trying to play anything up. And it's just Brian Lee O'Malley's vision and voice. I I think that too, because obviously like by this point in time, Scott Pilgrim was a big deal. People cared about it. It was a story that people were reading and all that stuff. So there's a, des- a desire there to, you know, deliver on uh, um, Edgar Wright's vision Mm-hmm. which inevitably will live over top of Brian's vision. And that's not what I want right now reading this, I guess. So I don't know how much I would really get out of the movie, 
Um, it's a lot easier to accept the craziness here because it's a comic book. I th I think you would still like it. I think that like it's not a movie without its flaws. But even as someone who like loves the comic and thinks overall it's better and like all of those things, Edgar Wright is just such a phenomenal filmmaker. I feel like he does really nail a lot of the key elements in in cool ways, you know. Um, but there's so much that just gets left on the cutting room floor you know there's just that's that's the shame like because there's a lot there that i think could have been really cool seeing on the big screen but there's like two whole major arcs that happen in books three and four that are just not yeah even there's not even a whiff of them in the movie at your classic beach scenes like oh the beach stuff is really good it's it's hilarious yeah. and, but it's also like it's another trope that just doesn't make it to the movie yeah I mean, because it, it, it needed to be more, right? Like, if you wanted yeah. to have it be one movie, like, you hit a point where it's like, all right, we got to race past some of this shit, you know? Do they have, I forget if they have the whole thing or if it's only a, up to a certain extent, but they have, like, a motion comic of Scott oh, really? Pogum. I think so. I didn't know that. I'm going to Google like, that. I'll call that, yeah. I'm Google that really quick. That's cool. So, um, while, while Marco's working on that... Um, I did kind of want to uh, circle back to, um, I guess, one of the things that, that we, we hinted on earlier on, and I, I do want to just at least touch on it briefly, is like I think uh, one of the things that definitely um, stuck out to me this reading is like some of the language that is like that early 2000s stuff that it's just like, man, yeah, people sure used to talk this way. Um like how many times someone says that something is retarded is like, oof, like it's like it's mostly Kim, but <laughs> um, yeah, and just like things like that that are definitely you know like best left in two thousand four. Yeah, I want. I really wanted to talk about that because I remember when we had invent when we read Invincible I had a similar issue. Yeah, um, and um. In Invincible, I feel like it was a little bit less egregious than it is here. Here, it's like not only that, right? But it's also every single time someone talks about knives, she's Chinese. Every time. Like, whoa. Um, to the point where, like, I don't even know that people really talk that way. Like, I don't know that every single time you reference a person, you reference their ethnicity. I'm not sure what Brian was going for with that. Like, why did that have to be so um, over the top? And then Knives calling Ramona fat like a million times. Um, I know that that was a thing that writers did back then. Um, yeah. It's prevalent in several things that I have read from that era. Um, uh, Joss Whedon used to do it a lot. Mm. Um, I don't like to castigate writers for a stories that were told a long time ago when language was different and different things were acceptable or B writing characters as they are, even if that's not something that's comfortable, sure. just because we don't like those words doesn't mean that people don't use them. And if that's authentic to the character, then it is what it is. Especially sure in that, that time, right? Like right. that's not a word that anybody thought of as being like offensive, right? Like exactly. look at any blockbuster comedy from that era. That word was probably used. And I think it would be unfair to judge Brian O'Malley as like, this is 
who he is or this is what he thinks is okay. Cause like, yeah, you're reading it whenever you are, but he wrote it a long time ago. I'm sure he would take it out. If, if like, like, I'm sure if he were writing it today, that wouldn't be there. So as even though it doesn't make me feel good, my approach is like, Hey, I'm reading this as if I'm reading it when it came out and that's it. I'm not going to judge it harshly for that because that's not fair. I don't think, I don't think it's a fair critique. I, I generally agree with that. The only um, context that I'll add when it with regard to the 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 way in which that like knives race is talked about is that I know that um, uh, Brian is is half Korean, so I don't know yeah. if that's something that was maybe representative of his experience like growing up in Canada because he's oh, okay. he's mixed race and grew up in um I, he's he's half Korean and half French Canadian, so I think he grew up in in like the French Montreal, Canada region. I think. Yeah. So like I don't know if that was something that like is part of what it's like to be an Asian Canadian and like that was something that he was trying to work in there for that reason. Um I obviously can't speak to that, but that's context that feels worth pointing out, at least for that part of the conversation. I think that's fair to add. The other thing that um I was a little frustrated by was the lack of um people of color in general um there were no i don't think there were any black people um not in like a main role anyway yeah i mean you know canada so whatever but um again i don't ding books for books or movies or whatever for things like that if it was what it was at the time it's just so weird to read a book where it's like oh it's like a it's a ghost town in here (laughs) it's just it's just white people (laughs) Mm well you know obviously Knives is Chinese. Knives is Chinese, yeah. <laughs> but like I feel like the those moments weren't as because I just scrolling through the moments where they, they talk about knives, uh, there are three instances where and I've I've yet to like come across another uh, just skimming through fifty pages here, uh, where they mention her being Chinese outside of when they first meet her and then uh like when she's talking to her friend. Um Stacy does it in book two. Where she's like, oh, like the, the like this like Chinese girl attacked a remote or whatever. Like, what's happening? Yeah. Like, is that that girl you were dating? Like, yeah. I mean, but I feel like if that's like an identifier for distinguishing, like, I don't know that that's inherently. No, I mean, it, like, and to the point that Sean made, it could just be because it's fucking Toronto, right? Where sure. It's like, I, I don't know what the demographic breakdown of Toronto is like, but I'm willing to guess it's pretty fucking white. Again, it's not a it's not so much about judgment because obviously, again, this was written a long time ago, but I don't think that there's any any way that every time like imagine, right? Like, oh, uh, Sean, that black dude. Imagine if every time someone you knew referenced me or everyone who knows me, every time they reference me, it's oh, Sean, that black dude. Like my name is enough. Yeah, but they don't. But they don't do that. There's all those other girls named Knives, right? <laughs> yeah, because it's it's with no one else. It's only I, Knives. Yeah, I, I get they, what both of you are saying. I I do feel like it sticks out in the writing, um, to me anyway. Now, and even um, Wallace is that the the roommate? Yeah. yeah. Wallace is gay. Wallace is gay. Did you know he's gay? And every every time they show his like little mini bio, oh, he's gay. He's the cool Fun gay roommate. fact. He's gay. Yeah, gay roommate. It's like okay, he's gay. I got it. Enough. It's not. It's not funny. That's, yeah, that's his. 
personality and right character. Yeah. <laughs> and and again, that was a thing back then. Anytime a character's gay, it's over the top. Like, all right, I it's like I don't care. It's interesting too, because in the case of Wallace, I don't feel like he is like tropey in that way in really any other way. Like no. he's not representative of any other like ways that gay men were portrayed in the two thousands like really at all you know like he just looks like another schlubby white dude you know um so yeah i think it's just a thing where like you probably could have pulled back on that a little bit but like i think to your point sean i think that's just like that is a way that people talked and wrote back then you know like that is a thing that like i remember being prevalent in the culture at the time you know, please. I'm I'm not sitting here standing on morality. I used to no, no. say things were gay all the time. You know, when I was a, a young person, it is what it is. It's just, you know, I think let's just be honest about what's happening here. You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. Right. Because it's like I don't think that those are things that devalue the book in like a super meaningful way. But like it's worth addressing them because like. Yeah. Yeah, like the conversation and the culture has evolved since then. And like, that's something that if you're a new reader going back and reading this, especially if you're younger, it might stick out to you as like, whoa, you know, like that's weird. But like to us, we can contextualize it in that way, you know? Oh, dude, I never thought about that. Like, imagine being a kid who was born the year this came out, right? Mm-hmm. And you're reading it now and like, he's gay being a thing to make fun of when that's just like what it is now. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah. Cause it's like, cause that's even the thing, right? Like they never make fun of Wallace for being gay, but Scott's very much like, I'm not gay. You know, so I just want to be, I want to be clear. Like, and that's like a thing that like, as a a young man in the two thousands, everyone was very much like, Oh, like like, no homo man. Like that kind of shit. Right. Like (laughs) that's a, like I'm a young man who's insecure in my masculinity thing. Um, and again, it's like there's a mix of, okay, yeah, there are a lot of young straight dudes that act that way, but also that kind of behavior in general is not nearly as common as it used to be, you know? Depends on where you are, I guess, because I still have a lot of people in my life like that. True. Unfortunately. Um, but anyway, yeah, I did just want to just touch on that stuff because I do think it's um... – you know, it's it's relevant when you're looking back on like a, a book that is now as old as it fucking makes me feel to say this historic. <laughs> this is this is now a modern classic because I am dying. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm I'm really pleased that we finally got to talk about this book. Um, I'm really glad that y'all had had fun with it um, and that everybody was able to get something out of it. Um, so like, yeah, let's let's move into some final thoughts. Um, Sean, why don't you start? Yeah. Um... I had a lot of fun with this way more fun than I thought I would. It's, it's, it's not anything that I would have chosen for myself. Um, and I don't think that like, if I had read this when I was 17, right. I would have been completely closed. I'm, I can only accept this now because of my exposure to so many different kinds of stories and just having more of an open mind um, in general that I could read this and accept it for what it is and find funny stuff to enjoy um, and embrace the story that Brian Lee O'Malley is trying to tell warts and all. Um, I like, yeah, I had some issues with it, I guess, from a, from a a standpoint of like, boy, does this feel dated or um, 
I can't connect with some of this stuff. Like I, I have no, I was never in a band. I never chilled in my friend's basement because I didn't grow up with anyone who had basements. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not the greatest fighter in New York City. Um, like <laughs> yes. there's so many, there's so many things that um, couldn't penetrate me. But for what it is, this is a fun, enjoyable look into a very deeply flawed person who is working through that. And I think that's cool. And there's a lot of space for that in comics. Um, you know, I really enjoy the character study aspect of it. And um, I am curious to see what happens going forward. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more fun to be had. So we did volumes one and two here, but um, I'm curious to see what where the story goes next. Let's fucking go. I was hoping you would feel that way. Kale. Yeah, I actually, I don't think uh, I have anything to add. I think Sean really summed up my feelings about it um, overall. Oh, that's a first. I, I think um, the the discussion about um, Scott and the type of person he is and the way the story sort of, you know, we see him grow and and, you know, sort of come out of the arrested development um i think i think it's very salient and something that i think is very that can be very easily missed Mm. um it is something i i certainly had never thought of so um uh i'm i'm very excited to give the rest of the book uh, a sec a third or fourth look as well yeah that's awesome Marco? Uh, I appreciated that this was uh, like another reading in the series, uh, especially in color, because I think it added something to this go around. So I really appreciated that we um, that we read the book. I don't have much else to add outside of that either. I think um, this has always been a fun story for me. It definitely hit me in a place where, where I really connected with it when I first read it. And um, it's it's changed in meaning because I'm viewing it from like an older perspective now, and uh, you can definitely appreciate the the lengths to which Scott is a a a character who's kind of difficult to like where he real and difficult to be around just because sometimes he's <laughs> like a dick in that way, and um, especially to like the relationships that he keeps. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, uh, this has maintained being uh, one of those top tier books for me uh, over the years. Yeah, I I think I'll end it on a similar note where you know obviously this was my pick, so it's it's a book that um, that I wanted to discuss, and it's 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 one of my favorite books. You know, um, it's a book that uh, I connected with at a really formative time in my life, and. It's, I think, like, maybe not all great pieces of art, but, like, the the pieces of art that I love the most are ones that I feel grow with me over time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Scott Pilgrim is a book that has grown with me. It's meant different things to me at different times in my life um, based on what I was going through and, you know, where I was on my own emotional journey to get out of that arrested development, you know? Um and to read it as an actual kid 
somebody right in the middle of it, and now somebody who's kind of coming out on the other side of it. Um, it's cool to see how that work has been able to stick with me and still, um, you know, give me new feelings uh, on a third read-through, you know, now um, almost a decade later, uh, or I guess over a decade later since I read, read it the first time. Um, that's really cool. That's special, and that's powerful. Um, and I'm glad that I still feel that way about it. I'm glad that it's it's a piece of art that I feel like um, that uh, that I'm able to stand by in that way, you know, um, because mm-hmm. I don't I don't think there are a lot of books that hit that mark necessarily, um, at least that are this personal to me, you know, because it is such a so much of this is relevant to my lived experience, you know, and I think like finding a book that um, that feels like it was written for you is so special, you know, um, and I appreciate that this book has been able to be that for me um, at a bunch of different times in my life. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad we finally got to read it. Um, this is one of the first books I ever wanted to do a book club on. Um, so I'm glad we were finally able to touch on it. And uh, I'm glad that um, – you know, for those of you who are returning to it, that you found new things to enjoy, and for Sean being a first-time reader, that um, that I was able to to penetrate um, and and speak to you in some way. That's that's awesome. Um, that it means a lot. Well, what I got out of it is that I need to start training. <laughs> Sean's that's gonna right. be the best fighter in New York City. Let's fucking go. We'll start. We'll we'll start in the like the neighborhood. Then we'll start in uh, on the island, the borough. Then we'll do the city. Yeah, we have our. There you go, dude. That's will you will you will you be my um my coach? Because I already know you're one of the best fighters in New York. So. Yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I love- <laughs> Marco's your Wallace. He's sitting there playing Tony Hawk. Be like, Sean, do some push-ups. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got I got a basement with my parents' house. So we can go hang out at like perfect. Dude. Absolutely. Becca has no exes, so I'm not dealing with that necessarily. <laughs> but like, we can we can tear it up, man. I'm ready. <laughs> Um, one thing I was going to ask, uh, Pete is if you'd read seconds. Yes. Um, okay. yeah, I've read seconds and I think I've read all of Brian's stuff. Uh, what was the other one? Um, they go on a trip. Uh, yeah. It's, car. um, <sighs> long, long look at the sea long. It's something uh, in the sea. Yeah. Something in the sea. Yeah. Yeah. That I, was like I, his I, first at bat. I think I believe so. Yeah. I think, um, Sean, if you like this, I think O'Malley's probably his style and his work, his selection of work in in this in this style is definitely something to like explore and look at because it's a good introduction to what it's a more palatable introduction, I think, to a lot of the tropes that you'll see in a manga. Mm. Should you decide to like head that way, but I think he contains it in a very clean, um, more more accessible way. I could definitely see Sean getting something out of seconds. Yeah, for seconds sure. is like a very like cerebral kind of book. Cerebral. And it, it's like very like heady. Um, yeah, more and more person like uh, character driven. I think as well. Very introspective. So this. Yeah, yeah. I, I I could see you connecting with it. It reminds me of other things that, um, that you've either recommended or like even books we've read that like those are things that. I feel like you generally connect with. I could, I've never really thought about that until you pointed that out, Marco, but I do feel like that could, that could definitely be a Sean ass book. Yeah. It's a good one. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, uh, for all of you listening at home, thanks for tuning in. 
Uh, if you want to um, let us know what you thought about Scott Pilgrim or suggest a future book club or tell us to do the next Scott Pilgrim book club, there's a bunch of ways you can do that right into the show at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Come join the Discord. Hit us up on social media. Uh, wherever you do it, we love to hear from you. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of folks have written in with their picks, and we did a couple uh, listener submissions this year. So if there's a book you're dying to hear us chat about, um, make sure you write in um, because – Hey, we might pick it if it doesn't suck. So uh, that's it for this <laughs> month on the Comics Files Book Club. Uh, for Sean, Kale, Marco, I've and me, because I'm Pete, we've been the Comics Files. We'll see you next month. Twice. He did <laughs> that twice. He forgot who he was twice. Got some memory loss. <laughs> <laughs>